Galatians 6 tonight, Galatians 6, some familiar verses, some good verses, and I'm looking forward to looking at these tonight with you, and we're going to read these verses, and I, Lord willing, will be a help to you tonight. Galatians 6, let's read these together, I'll read, I'll read them, Galatians 6 verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Consider in thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches teacheth in all good things. Some good verses tonight. Let's look at them together. Let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, I love you. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us now. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just honor your word, bless your word like you promised to do. I pray. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help me to preach what what I've studied. And God, I pray most of all, you'd help me to preach it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you and I have been in this, this book, uh, Galatians, for several, several weeks now. We've been studying through uh, this, this, this great book of our Bible. As Paul has written a letter to the, to the churches in Galatia, Really, the whole book of Galatians is kind of broken up into three, three, separate, uh, three separate sections. You know, you have the very first part where Paul kind of, kind of sees a personal, you have to kind of see a personal statement from Paul where Paul defends his conversion, he defends his call, and he defer, and he defers the, the message of, the, defends the message of the gospel. I mean, can I just say, I mean, Paul was doing his best in this day and age to, in this, in this day to this church to convey that his love, but also his righteousness frustration as he poured his life as the church that he had poured his life into so quickly had been deceived and pulled away from, 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 the, from the truth of what the gospel really and truly was. But then the letter moves from chapters 1 and 2 from Paul's personal statement really to, to Paul in chapter 3 and 4 making a doctrinal statement. I mean, Paul clearly defends in chapters 3 and 4 the very fact that you and I are saved by grace. I mean, it's simply grace alone that saves a man. You know, the law that these Judaizers had come in and had, 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 had tried to instill and inflict upon these, 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 new, these new believers in Galatia, the law was never meant to save. We talked about that several weeks ago, how the law in and of itself was merely just a teacher to teach you and I that we could not keep the law. All those great rules. I mean, you can take all the, all the, the, the some 600 odd laws that they found in the Old Testament and narrow them down to just 10 simple laws and you and I would find that even in the 10 simple laws that God gave to Moses on top of Mount Sinai, you and I can't even keep all 10 of those laws. And the fact of the matter was is if we were ever guilty of breaking one law, then we're just as guilty as if we had broke the entire law. The law was never meant to save. It was meant simply to prove that we couldn't and we needed a savior. But the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel of unmerited love and favor from God to man. And anyone that would attack anything, attach anything to that grace is preaching a false gospel and must be marked out and called out just like Paul has done in this, in this book of Galatians. You know, when a believer starts laying down the law for someone, 
When they say, you can't go here, or you must go there, or you can't eat that, or you can't drink that, or you must not do this, or you must not do that, and, and if you do those things and I refuse to have fellowship with you, or, or you can't be a friend of that person, or you can't read this book, and there's not a biblical command or a biblical principle against those things, then you and I have entered into a realm called legalism. And we have to be very careful of that. Now again, that is a great responsibility for you and I is to learn and to discern between those things. It's those two ditches we've talked about all throughout the book of Galatians. That great, that great ditch of liberalism and that great ditch of legalism. Well, in chapters 5 and 6, Paul moves from a, 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 a personal statement and a doctrinal statement really to a practical statement. You know, chapter 6 kind of opens up and it's almost as if Paul, Paul understood how much these people love the law. And so Paul said, well, if you love the law so much, let me give you some law you should follow. And it wasn't so much a law as in the term of precepts, but a law in terms of principles. And, 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 we, and Paul begins to lay out some great laws for them to live their life by or great principles to live their life by as he wraps up this great book of liberty to the Galatian church, churches. Well, tonight, we're, we're going we're to take these last chapter, chapter 6, and break it down into three different principles, if you will. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the law of or the principle of uh, the principle of the love for Christ, the love of for Christ. And Paul opens up and he really begins to talk about the, the principle of love you and I should have toward, toward, God, toward God's children and toward, toward our fellow believers. You know, I find it very interesting that really what Paul understands in this church is that this church, the great problem of this church and this battle for, this battle for legalism that was going on in this church was causing great conflict in this church. Can I just tell you, that's exactly what happens inside of a church when multiple people have multiple, multiple, multiple demands and multiple ideas and they demand that they're wallowed and if their way's not followed, they're going to rise up and cause problems. Man, when that happens, you're going to get problems in your church. And I mean, that, and Paul, Paul realizes that they, that, they are, that they are biting against one another. They're devouring one another. That's why in verse number 15 of chapter 5, Paul said, But if ye devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. There was a problem. There was a fight in that church. And so to once again call them back to understanding, Paul opens up Galatians 6 with one great word, the word brethren. The word brethren. Can I tell you something? That one word is almost like a, it's almost like a call to remembrance of who those individuals were. They weren't at war with one another. They weren't fighting against one another. They were the same family. They were part of the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the family of God. And he was calling their mind and saying, what are we doing? Brethren, family, what is going on in your church? You know, I, I, I can't help but think about that, 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 that thought and it takes me back into my youth where I grew up in a home of four kids. And can I tell you something? Four kids with four distinct personalities and four attitudes and four, it, it invites four problems going on all the time. And every once in a while, I had a, my, my mom or mother would say, what are y'all doing? Don't you realize you're family and family is not supposed to fight like this. But so Paul calls them back and he says, brethren, family, Hold on, what is going on in this church? And then Paul begins to explain how, the, how, he, how you and I, as the family of God, can show the love of Christ 
in restoring those who have fallen and made mistakes. Can I just show you this? God, I want to show you this. I want to break these verses down. Paul talks about how you and I, and this, this principle of the love of Christ, how you and I show the great love of Christ in really, in, in, in the way we choose to love the family of God. Can I tell you, can we talk a little bit about this love tonight? I want to share a few things with you and we'll go to the house. Paul, first of all, says that when it comes to this love that the family of God, the church that should have, that this love should be a love that restores. A love that restores. Now look what it says in verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Can I tell you, now if I could just be honest with you, if I could take the average Christian theology of our day, here's, what it, here's how we read this verse. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, turn your back upon that individual. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, condemn that individual behind their back. Gossip about that individual. I mean, can I tell you something? One thing, that, one thing that's true about modern day Christians is that, is that we are an army, but we're really the, one, of the, one of the only armies that, that, that shoots our wounded. But Paul says this, when it comes to the fact that, that when it comes to the, the individual who has been overtaken in a fault, our job is to show the love of Christ and to do our best to restore that individual. That word overtaken is an interesting word. That word overtaken, it means to be caught in the act. It kind of gives the idea of, an, of, a, of, a, of a Christian brother who has made a decision to be disobedient to the word of God and they have been found out in their fault. They have been found out in their sin. Paul says our job in that moment is to restore that individual. That word restore is really a medical term. It really gives the idea of mending a broken bone. You know, you think about that. I, I have been blessed. I have never actually broken a bone. Um, but, I, but here's what I understand about broken bones. That mending process is not always a pleasant process. But that mending process is most definitely a needful process. Because if it's not mended, it just is going to invite more problems and more pain down the road. And Paul says that when it comes to how you and I can really show the love of Christ, that in those moments a brother or a sister becomes overtaken in a fault, that you and I should do our best to repair, restore, to mend that individual back to Christ. You know, sometimes that may, when that happens, that can be done privately. I, that, the Bible principle for how you and I should, 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 should handle problems in the church is that first of all, if there's a that I have a problem with or that brother has a problem with me, the first step in mending that problem is to do it privately. We, we go to one another in private. Now, I don't call, I don't call brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and, and individual so-and-so and say, hey, y'all pray for me. I'm getting ready to head down the road and talk to, talk to my brother. I just, we, we, this is what happened and I need your prayers. We don't do that. We, pop, we privately go to that individual and we say, hey, my brother, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've noticed. Here's a problem and we do our best to restore that privately. But if, a, but if, if, I, have a, if I have a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ who has, who has been pri privately uh, counseled with or privately talked to and me doing my best to lovingly, that word meekness, it means to do it lovingly, carefully. It means to do it with compassion. It doesn't mean to go up there and say, bless God, you're wicked, you're, you're the worst person on the face of earth. We do it 
with meekness. That if that happens and I do my best to restore that problem privately and it doesn't work, then the next step biblically is to do it publicly. That I, that I will love that individual enough that I would publicly bring people in to help do my best to restore that individual. Can I tell you something? We live in a day and age where, man, <clears throat> we, <laughs> we don't like problems at all. And we never want to be the reason why somebody gets called out for a problem. I mean, what we, we have, we have problems where we, you know, we, listen, the, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember very clearly at a church I was at where, where it was found out that somebody in the church who I knew was, was, was consuming alcohol in, 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 in at home and in public places. And somebody came to me and said, Hey, did you know this about so and so? And I said, First of all, no, I didn't. And I really don't want to know. And I said, But we need to get that fixed. That needs to get taken care of. And they said, Well, no, 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 no. I don't want to. I don't want them to find out that I told you. Well, friend, can I help you? If you don't love that person enough to go to that person first and fix that problem, then what you're doing when you come to me and tell me the problem is, you're not trying to get it restored. You're just trying to gossip about the problem that's going on. And that, my friend, is a problem. You and I, the, when we love somebody, we ought to love them enough to hurt them so that if we can hurt them, we might be able to help them. You know, I, I had a, I, I've had a, I, I, you know, I don't have, I don't have a thing, thing, I'm thankful I don't have to have a ton of surgeries. But what I know about the majority of surgeries is about every surgery I know of has some, has some pain involved with it. There's pain in the cut and there's pain in the healing process. But I do know this, that a surgeon's knife, while it may hurt while it cuts, after it mends, it has helped the problem. And you and I ought to have enough love for our brothers. If we really have, if we really are individuals who carry the, who have, who want to have a, a principle of, of sharing the love of Christ, we ought to have enough love that we would, that we would want to restore our brothers in the middle of a fall. You know, I, I think this, uh, I, I think, I, 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 I like this. Our, our attitude in how we restore is so and very important. Because our attitude is one that while we want to restore, that part of that restoration is remembering that you and I are just as capable of that individual of being right where they are when they have made that decision in the first place. Verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such, such and one in the spirit of meekness. And it says this, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know, it's a sight. It's a sight. It would be a sight for me that if I if I knew about a brother or a sister who had who had who had been overtaken in a fall, they had been caught up in some some terrible sin. If I decided that my role in life was to stick my spiritual nose down at them and say, "You wicked, good for nothing! I cannot believe you did that," because the Bible says this: if I really take take into consideration myself and who I am and what I'm capable of and the flesh I still reside in. I'm just, I'm just as likely to be in the position they are if not for the grace of God in my life. I've said it before, and as long as y'all let me be here, I'll say, it, I'll say it again. Every one of us, you and I, are all one bad decision away from ruining our testimony and ruining our life. The only difference between me and the drunk on the street is simply the grace of God. 
And you and I, when it comes to this love that we want to restore, you and I, the compassion we ought to have is our compassion ought to be the fact that we understand that we are just as likely to be where they are as they, as they are because we have the same flesh, we fight the same battles, we, we, we have the same ability to make the same poor decisions. And it's not one that restores from a place of, I am better than you are. It's one that restores from a place of, I love you. And I want, I want things to be right between you and God. And I love you enough that I want to help you. And let me give you some truth and try my best to restore you. There's a love that restores. This love of Christ is a love that restores. But I like this. <clears throat> I think it also is a love that also remembers. It also remembers. Let me say this real quick. I, I, I want to catch verse 2. Verse 2 is a verse that I love. You know, the truth of the matter is about verse 2, why I like it, is because when you and I choose to love and choose to help one another and restore one another, you and I are doing so much for the cause of Christ and we are so much like our Savior in those moments that we restore our brethren. Verse 2 just says this, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Can I tell you, I, I, every time I read verse 2, my mind goes back to a disciple whose name was Peter. And most, most of you know the name Peter. I like Peter. I think I'm a lot like Peter because I just say a lot of stuff without thinking and get my foot caught in my mouth. I mean, it's, a, it's always embarrassing when it happens. But, you know, I, Peter was the kind of individual who, who was so zealous and yet so fragile. I mean, Peter was the one who, 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 who there in the Garden of Eden carried that sword in the Garden of Eden. And when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden, who took, who took that sword and cut off the ear of Malchus in his best to show his devotion to the Lord. I mean, I like that about Peter. I mean, he loved the Savior. I mean, he, 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 he said that he would, that, you know, when, when, when Jesus, Jesus was washing, washing their feet there in the upper room, and, and he said, well, not just my feet, Lord, but, but wash my whole body. I mean, he loved Jesus, and yet he still was a man apt to fall because we know what Jesus told him there at that last supper. He told Peter, Peter, before the cock crows thrice, you'll deny me three times. Not me, Lord. I would never, Lord. I would never. And yet we know what happened. There, there outside of that court, that courtroom, there Peter was by the fire of the world. And all of a sudden the world begins to question him. Aren't you one of his disciples? Don't you know that man? No, no, I don't know Jesus. Oh, I know you do. You, I've seen you with him. You are one of his disciples. Absolutely not. I'm not one of his disciples. Your speech, you sound like one of those Galileans. I know you're one of his disciples. And then all of a sudden Peter curses and he denies the Lord a third time. And as soon as he does, the cock crows. And he realized that he'd failed the Lord. He realized he'd messed up. And Peter ran out of there weeping bitterly, knowing that he had failed. In fact, Peter was so sure of his failure that Peter decided that he was done. He was going to quit everything. Peter looked at his, his, his brethren there and he said, listen, I'm going back to fishing. Who's going with me? But I like what happened on that resurrection day when, when Mary ran into the, into the tomb and, and when, when Mary saw the risen Lord, he said, go tell the disciples. And Peter... And Peter, that I've risen. Oh, friend, can I tell you, he, Jesus, Jesus could have looked at Peter and told Peter exactly what, what, what most of us would have. Peter, you messed up. Peter, you failed. Sorry, man, you're one strike and you're out. You've got to go. You've got to move on. You've messed up. You failed me. You're not worthy of my love. You're not worthy of my devotion. I want nothing to do with you. And yet Peter was restored by the Lord. Right there on the shores of, that, on the shores of Galilee, 
Thomas Peter was fishing all night long and they didn't catch a single fish. I know what that feels like. I mean, I, I mean last time I went to the beach to go fishing, I mean, we, I went with my father-in-law and I mean, it was like 170 degrees right in the middle of October. Who, I mean, who, what in the world? And I was out there for a solid week and caught nothing. I just caught a terrible sunburn. That's all I caught the whole week long. I feel the pain of Peter in that moment. But then, but then, oh, Peter, he hears from the shore, he sees this man and he hears, children, have you any meat? And they said, no. And they hear this man on the shore say, well, just cast your net on the, on the other side. And they just, by faith, obey the voice. And all of a sudden, the Bible says they couldn't even draw up the net for the amount of fish. And they come to the shore and they realize the voice they heard was Jesus himself. And Jesus there by that fire says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Well, then feed my, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, you know I love you. And in that moment, a man who had failed, a man who had messed up, a man who had done wrong was restored because the Lord loved him so much. And when you and I love like the Lord loves, you and I are going to re- want to restore just like the Lord restores. See, it's a love that restores. Can I just say this, though, and I'm going to move fast. It's a love not only that restores, it's also a love that remembers. It's a love that remembers. You see, there, there, there's three things that, that are said right here <clears throat> that, that, that I like. It just goes on to say this. Verse number three, it says this. When you understand that, that, that this love that restores is also a love, love that remembers, the first thing we're going to realize is that if we love like the Lord loves, if we love like, the, like, like Christ loves, then you and I are going to remember our limits. Verse 3 says this, For if a man think himself to be nothing, something when he is nothing, he, he deceiveth himself. You know what that means to me? That if I, ever walk, if I ever get to the place where I walk around, and I'm not knocking anybody, I promise you, I, I don't have anybody really in mind, but I have met people before that somehow have reached a spiritual plane of, uh, a, a plane of spiritual living that I have never attained. And they seem like they've hit this plane of spiritual living where they never mess up and they never do wrong and they have all the right answers and they, and they live in a place where if you could just be more like them, then you could just know the Lord better. And they live way up here and the rest of us just live way down here. Can I tell you something? My Bible says that if I ever get to a point where I think I'm really something, I'm living in complete deceit of who I really am. The great limit of what, the great limits of my life are the fact that I, while I may have a saved soul, I live in a fleshly body. And I'm, I, I am just as apt to fail and to fall as I am to, to as any individual that walks this earth. The very best that I am is nothing. If you see anything good in me, and there's not a lot, not a lot to see, let me tell you who that is. That's just the Lord in me. I mean, it's not, if, if you see, if, if, if there's anything good about Jonathan Ritchie, I promise you, it's not Jonathan Ritchie. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who by grace has worked and worked and worked to try to mold and make any part of me to be more like him. But the very best of Jonathan Ritchie is absolutely nothing. And I don't ever want to get to a point where I walk around and I forget the fact that, 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 that all I am is, is but dung and all I deserve is hell and, all, and, and anything that it's happened in my life is because the Lord through His grace and His mercy had reached down into my, 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 my
the muck and mire of who I am just, to, just because he loved me. See, I, if, I, if I love like Christ's love, I'm going to remember my limits. I'm going to remember my limits. I'm also going to remember <clears throat> my purpose. My purpose. In verse 4, <clears throat> I like this. It says this. But let every man prove his own work. Prove his own work. You know, I like this because you see what that reminds me is this, is that, is that the purpose of my life, man, the purpose of, the, the great purpose of my life is not to make sure that you're running well, but to make sure that I'm running well. It's not to make sure that you're doing everything right, it's to make sure that I'm doing everything right. Right back, back there on that seashore, man, right there where, where Peter was and those disciples were. I, 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 Peter, again, he, he's like me. After he gets questioned by Jesus those three times, and he says, that he says, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. Can I tell you, I feel like, I think I know how Peter felt. I mean, there Peter is with all of, his, all of his friends, those men he's been in ministry with for so many years, and now he's being questioned and quizzed by the Lord Jesus Christ in front of them all. And, I, and Peter gets to a point where I think he feels almost like, all right, let's stop picking on Peter for a second. And so he looks over and he finds John, that beloved disciple, and he says, well, Lord, what about this man? Lord, what about this man over here? And, and I like what Jesus says to Peter. He says this, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You know what I like about that? He just tells John, he, Peter, he, Jesus just tells Peter, Peter, what, it, what does it matter to you what I do with, with John? You're so worried about John. And Peter, you forgot that your main purpose in your life is to follow me. You make sure you're right. You make sure you're living right. You make sure you're being obedient. You make sure you're staying close. Peter, if, I, if it was the, my will that John lived until I came back, that has nothing to do, Peter, with your decision to follow after me and your decision to be obedient to me and your decision to live close to me. He said, Peter, you're so busy worried about everybody else that you've forgotten that you're supposed to follow me. And can I tell you something? The great purpose of my life is not to walk around and try to pick out all the things I think that are wrong with everybody else because, listen, I've got a lot more problem with the beam in my eye than you do the splinters in your eye. But, when, listen, in those moments where I see a brother who's been overtaken in a fault, I ought to love him enough to realize that I've got a lot of beams and I might want to just help them with their splinter. Not to condemn them, not to hurt them, but because I love them. I love them. I love them. It's a love that remembers. It remembers its limits. It remembers its purpose. It remembers, it remembers its analysis. You know, I like, it just, it just says this, goes on to say, and then he shall, in verse four, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Man, I, I want to be sure that I'm, that I'm not constantly a busy body looking for all the problems with everybody else. I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I'm bearing the burden that God has called me to. <clears throat> it's a love that restores. It's a love that remembers. But then quickly, and I'll be done, it's a love that reminds. Verse 6 says this, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. You know, that, that word, that, that, that verse number six just tells us that you and I ought to live in a, live, that you and I ought to love one another 
that we're carefully reminding everybody, that we carefully remind, can compassionately remind each other of the truth of what God has to say in His Word. In His Word. You know, there's two, there's two, uh, there's two, there's two parts of that verse that I think are so very important. It says, first of all, that him that is taught in the Word. That's the, that is the, that is the, <clears throat> that is the part of you and I doing our best to understand what God has for us in His Word. You know, we, that, that's the part where you and I have, have fallen in love with the Lord enough that we spend time in His Word every day because we know how much we desperately need His Word for ourselves. You know, we, we have a lot of people who have a lot of opinions and have a lot of ideas how things ought to go. But the problem is, is they, have, they haven't spent an awful lot of time in, in the Word of God. They do, a lot of, a lot of, they do a lot of telling everybody what ought to happen. But they have no idea really what God has to say in His Word because they haven't taken the time to know what God really has to say. We, we, listen, we have churches that are dying from biblical, from biblical anemia. Because we said we spend no time studying the Word of God. We have homes that are failing because, our, because parents live in such, an, such an, an apathetic desire for the Word of God that they have no desire to, to read the Word of God and study the Word of God and find out the kind of home they're supposed to have and the parents are supposed to be. And, they, and, they, and, and, and they're dying because their homes are filled with such spiritual apathy because there's no love for the Word of God. Can I ask you a question? How in the world, how, can the, how in the world can you and I ever, ever lead somebody to water that we're not willing to drink from? I mean, how in the world can we, can we lead a lost and dying world to a Savior that we really have no knowledge of because we spend no time in His Word? How can I as a daddy lead my family the right way and hope for my children that they'll love the Lord and serve the Lord and do right when I haven't done my duty as a father to be in the Word of God to study it? I can't. I can't. You know, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am fully aware that there's going to come a day and age in the life of my children where they're, where they're going to have to make a very real choice about what they're going to do with their faith. But can I tell you something? A lot of us are, are fighting a losing battle because we're not fighting with the weapons that the, that, the, that the Lord gave us. Because you and I don't spend any time in the Word. We don't spend any time teaching ourselves the Word. And when it, when it comes to our best to, to, to remind people, how can you and I remind people when you and I have no knowledge of what we're speaking from? We, 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 in, a, we in this day and age, we just speak in spiritual platitudes. I mean, we just like to, we just like to, to parrot what we've heard somebody say on some social media site. We just like to parrot what we've, heard, what we've heard people say down the road. And we've never taken any time to get in the Word of God and study the Word of God and know what the Word of God says. The first part of that verse is the part of our own personal, our own personal investment where you and I are taught in the Word. We spend time in the Word. And I, can I tell you something? I ought, to love, I ought to love my church enough. I ought to love my family enough that I, that I love them so much that I want them to do right that I realize the first place that starts is right here with me and I get in that word and study that word. That's my personal investment. But see, the second part of that verse is this. is After I have spent time taught in the word, 
that I turn around and love somebody enough to communicate or teach, teach unto them the word that I have studied. You know, I, we, my, my, my son and I, even just yesterday, we were riding down the road and, and I, we were talking, we were just talking about something just random. You know, we were just talking about something random. I think we were just talking about, oh, all the fruit. What was the fruit? What was the fruit that Eve ate in the garden? We were just talking about that. And most people, if you quiz them, most people tell you that they think Eve ate an apple. But the Bible doesn't say anything about what kind of fruit she ate. We just assume it's an apple. Most theologians say it's a pomegranate. I'll tell you about that later on down the road when we have that kind of time. But, but we, just, we just listen to what others say. And then we parrot what they say. And we've not really taught anybody anything because we haven't done any, any, any real work in teaching ourselves the Word of God. Can I tell you that you and I, when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to restoring our brothers, when it comes to loving our our, our brothers in Christ, man, the, the one of the great places that, that 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 love shows up is in our love for the Word of God, so that we can turn around and help somebody, not from our personal opinion, not from our own ideas, not from our own personal uh, personal preferences, but from what the Word of God has to say. And I ought to love somebody enough that I know what the Word of God says, and that way I can help them, not from you know I, I want to help people. People, but can I be honest with you? I, I don't do an awful lot of helping people in my own strength. But I tell you what I have seen help people. I've seen the word of God reach down in somebody's life and change their heart and change their direction and change their mind. I've seen the word of God do that. So if I love people like I'm supposed to, I'm going to love the word of God enough to get busy studying it and get busy working in it and get busy doing my best self to teach myself what God has to say. So in that moment and in that time when I can reach out to my brother, I can say, let me help you with what the word of God has to say. Let me tell you what the Bible has to say. And I can restore them because I love them. That's the love of Christ. Boy, that great principle of the love of Christ. It's a love that restores. It's a love that, re that remembers. <clears throat> it's a love that reminds. Can I ask you, in your life, do you have the love of Christ? Can I tell you something? Here's the great truth of, 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 the, of us. It's not so much of if we fall, but for a lot of us, it's when we fall. We're all going to make mistakes, and we're all going to mess up. Why don't you and I just commit to each other that when that happens, we're going to love each other enough to restore one another, to restore one another. Heads bowed and eyes closed.